0: Black Clock Audio Tales, April 1st through the 30th,
1: 30 days
0: of epic Greek poem, prayers, and parody, Homeric poems from ancient Greece, and then that rack o moyo machia brought to you by BunnySlippers.com. check out their Dino Sound Slippers, you heard what they are, you may make noise when you walk around, they look like dinosaurs, and they fit most of your feet. Black Audio Tales is a daily podcast that reads you a story, either a chapter or a novel, or a whole story all at once. Join us as we explore all kinds of cool, spooky stories, folklore, epic uh, Greek narratives such as the Iliad. Look for our podcast near, uh, I don't know, the Loose Stone by the River, or wherever you find your podcasts. We suggest Podbean, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. Oh, we're also now on, um, Spottable. So check us out on Spottable. Find us at PGTTCM and at Black Clock Audio on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and Black Clock Audio Tales on the YouTube. Welcome to Black Clock Audio Tales. Check out our new website over at PGTTCM. Edited by Daniel Spitzer. Music by Kevin McLeod. Help support the show by going to paypal.me slash pgtcm and donate a buck of five to pgtcm.podbeam.com or become a patron. Buy a cool shirt from pgttcm.threadless.com. Black Clock Audio Tales is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Learn more at darkmyths.org. Thank you and enjoy.
1: To Aphrodite Muse. Tell me the deeds of golden Aphrodite, the Cyprian, who stirs up sweet passion in the gods and subdues the tribes of mortal men and birds that fly in air and all the many creatures that the dry land rears and all that the sea. All these love the deeds of rich-crowned Cytherea. Yet there are three hearts that she cannot bend nor yet ensnare. First is the daughter of Zeus who holds the ages, bright-eyed Athena, for she has no pleasure in the deeds of golden Aphrodite, but delights in wars and in the work of Ares, in strifes and battles, and in preparing famous crafts. She first taught earthly craftsmen to make chariots of war and cars variously wrought with bronze, and she, too, teaches tender maidens in the house and puts knowledge of goodly arts in each one's mind. Nor does laughter-loving Aphrodite ever tame in love Artemis, the huntress with shafts of gold. For she loves archery and the slaying of wild beasts in the mountains, the lyre also, and dancing and thrilling cries and shady woods and the cities of upright men. Nor yet does the pure maiden Hestia love Aphrodite's works. She was the firstborn child of wily Cronos and youngest too by will of Zeus, who holds the Aegis, a queenly maid whom both Poseidon and Apollo sought to wed. But she was wholly unwilling, nay, stubbornly refused. And touching the head of Father Zeus, who holds the Aegis, she, that fair goddess, swore a great oath, which has in truth been fulfilled, that she would be a maiden all her days. So Zeus the father gave her an high honor instead of marriage and she has her place in the midst of the house, and has the richest portion. In all the temples of the gods she has a share of honor, and among all mortal men she is chief of the goddesses. Of these three, Aphrodite cannot bend or ensnare the hearts, but of all others there is nothing among the blessed gods or among mortal men that has escaped Aphrodite. Even the heart of Zeus, who delights in thunder, is led astray by her. Though he is greatest of all, and has the lot of highest majesty, she beguiles even his wise heart, whensoever she pleases, and mates him with mortal women, unknown to Hera, his sister and his wife, the grandest far in beauty among the deathless goddesses. Most glorious is she whom wily Cronos with her mother Rhea did beget. And Zeus, whose wisdom is everlasting made her his chaste and careful wife. But upon Aphrodite herself, Zeus cast sweet desire to be joined in love with a mortal man, to the end that, very soon, not even she should be innocent of a mortal's love, lest laughter-loving Aphrodite should one day softly smile and say mockingly among all the gods that she had joined the gods in love with mortal women who bear sons of death to the deathless gods and had mated the goddesses with mortal men. And so he put in her heart sweet desire for Anchises, who at that time among the steep hills of many fountained Ida was tending cattle, and in shape was like the immortal gods. Therefore, when laughter-loving Aphrodite saw him, she loved him, and terribly desire seized her in her heart. She went to Cyprus, to Paphos, Where her precinct is and fragrant altar and passed into her sweet-smelling temple there she went in and put to the glittering doors and there the graces bathed her with heavenly oil such as blooms upon the bodies of the eternal gods oil divinely sweet which she had by her filled with fragrance and laughter loving Aphrodite put on all her rich clothes and when she had decked herself with gold she left sweet-smelling cypress and went in haste towards Troy, swiftly travelling high up among the clouds. So she came to many-fountained Ida, the mother of wild creatures, and went straight to the homestead across the mountains. After her came grey wolves, fawning on her, and grim-eyed lions, and bears, and fleet leopards, ravenous for deer, and she was glad in heart to see them, and put desire in their breasts, so that they all mated, two together about the shadowy coombs. But she herself came to the neat-built shelters, and him she found left quite alone in the homestead, the hero Anchises, who was comely as the gods. All the others were following the herds over the grassy pastures, and he, left quite alone in the homestead, was roaming hither and thither and playing thrillingly upon the lyre. And Aphrodite, the daughter of Zeus, stood before him being like a pure maiden in height and mien, that he should not be frightened when he took heed of her with his eyes. Now when Anchises saw her, he marked her well and wondered at her mien and height and shining garments, for she was clad in a robe outshining the brightness of fire, a splendid robe of gold, enriched with all manner of needlework, which shimmered like the moon over her tender breasts, a marvel to see, Also, she wore twisted brooches and shining earrings in the form of flowers, and round her soft throat were lovely necklaces. And Anchises was seized with love, and said to her, Hail, lady, whoever of the blessed ones you are that are come to this house, whether Artemis, or Leto, or golden Aphrodite, or high-born Themis, or bright-eyed Athena, or maybe you are one of the graces come hither, who bear the gods' company and are called immortal, or else one of the nymphs who haunt the pleasant woods, or of those who inhabit this lovely mountain and the springs of rivers and grassy meads, I will make you an altar upon a high peak in a far-seen place, and will sacrifice rich offerings to you at all seasons. And do you feel kindly towards me, and grant that I may become a man very eminent among the Trojans, and give me strong offspring for the time to come as for my own self let me live long and happily seeing the light of the sun and come to the threshold of old age a man prosperous among people thereupon aphrodite the daughter of zeus answered him anchises most glorious of all men born on earth know that i am no goddess why do you liken me to the deathless ones Nay, I am but a mortal, and a woman was the mother that bare me. Otreus of famous name is my father. If so be, you have heard of him, and he reigns over all Phrygia, rich in fortresses. But I know your speech well beside my own, for a Trojan nurse brought me up at home. She took me from my dear mother and reared me thenceforth when I was a little child. So comes it then that I know well your tongue also. And now the slayer of Argus, with the golden wand, has caught me up from the dance of Huntress Artemis, her with the golden arrows. For there were many of us, nymphs and marriageable maidens, playing together, and an innumerable company encircled us. From these the slayer of Argus, with the golden wand, wrapped me away. He carried me over many fields of mortal men, and over much land untilled and unpossessed, where savage wild beasts roam through shady coombs, until I thought never again to touch the life-giving earth with my feet. And he said that I should be called the wedded wife of Anchises, and should bear you goodly children. But when he had told and advised me, he, the strong slayer of Argos, went back to the families of the deathless gods. Well, I am now come to you, for unbending necessity is upon me, but I beseech you by Zeus and by your noble parents, for no base folk could get such a son as you. Take me now, stainless and unproved in love, and show me to your father and careful mother, and to your brothers sprung from the same stock. I shall be no ill-liking daughter for them, but a likely Moreover, send a messenger quickly to the swift-horsed Phrygians to tell my father and my sorrowing mother, and they will send you gold in plenty and woven stuffs, many splendid gifts. Take these as bridepiece, so do, and then prepare the sweet marriage that is honorable in the eyes of men and deathless gods." When she had so spoken, the goddess put sweet desire in his heart. And Anchises was seized with love, so that he opened his mouth and said, If you are a mortal, and a woman was the mother who bare you, and Otreus, of famous name, is your father, as you say, and if you are come here by the will of Hermes, the immortal guide, and are to be called my wife always, then neither God nor mortal man shall here restrain me till I have lain with you in love right now. No, Not even if far-shooting Apollo himself should launch grievous shafts from his silver bow. Willingly would I go down into the house of Hades, O lady, beautiful as the goddesses, once I had gone up to your bed. So speaking, he caught her by the hand, and laughter-loving Aphrodite, with face turned away and lovely eyes downcast, crept to the well-spread couch which was already laid with soft coverings for the hero and upon it lay skins of bears and deep-roaring lions, which he himself had slain in the high mountains. And when they had gone up upon the well-fitted bed, first Anchises took off her bright jewelry of pins and twisted brooches and earrings and necklaces, and loosed her girdle and stripped off her bright garments, and laid them down upon a silver-studded seat. Then, by the will of the gods and destiny, he lay with her. A mortal man with an immortal goddess, not clearly knowing what he did. But at the time when the herdsmen drive their oxen and hardy sheep back to the fold from the flowery pastures, even then Aphrodite poured soft sleep upon Anchises, but herself put on her rich raiment. And when the bright goddess had fully clothed herself, she stood by the couch and her head reached to the well-hewn roof tree. From her cheeks shone unearthly beauty, such as belongs to rich-crowned Cytherea. Then she aroused him from sleep, and opened her mouth, and said, Up, son of Dardanus, why sleep you so heavily, and consider whether I look as I did when you first saw me with your eyes? So she spake, and he awoke in a moment, and obeyed her. But when he saw the neck and lovely eyes of Aphrodite, he was afraid and turned his eyes aside another way, hiding his comely face with his cloak. Then he uttered winged words and entreated her. So soon as I ever saw you with my eyes, goddess, I knew that you were divine, but you did not tell me truly. Yet by Zeus who holds the ages, I beseech you Leave me not to lead a palsied life among men, but have pity on me, for he who lies with a deathless goddess is no hale man afterwards. Then Aphrodite, the daughter of Zeus, answered him, Anchises, most glorious of mortal men, take courage and be not too fearful in your heart. You need fear no harm from me nor from the other blessed ones, for you are dear to the gods." And you shall have a dear son who shall reign among the Trojans, and children's children after him, springing up continually. His name shall be Aeneas, because I felt awful grief in that I laid me in the bed of a mortal man. Yet are those of your race always the most like to gods of all mortal men in beauty and in stature? Fairly, wise Zeus carried off golden-haired Ganymedes, because of his beauty, to be amongst the deathless ones and pour drink for the gods in the house of Zeus, a wonder to see, honoured by all the immortals as he draws the red nectar from the golden bowl. But grief that could not be soothed filled the heart of Tros, for he knew not whither the heaven-sent whirlwind had caught up his dear son so that he mourned him always, unceasingly, until Zeus pitied him and gave him high-stepping horses, such as carry the Immortals, as recompense for his son. These he gave him as a gift, and at the command of Zeus, the guide, the slayer of Argus, told him all, and how his son would be deathless and unaging, even as the gods. So when Tros heard these tidings from Zeus, he no longer kept mourning but rejoiced in his heart and rode joyfully with his storm-footed horses. So also golden-throned Eos wrapped away Tithonus, who was of your race and like the deathless gods. And she went to ask the dark-clouded son of Kronos that he should be deathless and live eternally. And Zeus bowed his head to her prayer and fulfilled her desire. Too simple was queenly Eos she thought not in her heart to ask youth for him and to strip him of the sloth of deadly age. So while he enjoyed the sweet flower of life, he lived rapturously with golden-throned Eos, the early born by the streams of ocean at the ends of the earth. But when the first gray hairs began to ripple from his comely head and noble chin, queenly Eos kept away from his bed though she cherished him in her house and nourished him with food and ambrosia and gave him rich clothing. But when loathsome old age pressed full upon him, and he could not move nor lift his limbs, this seemed to her in her heart the best counsel. She laid him in a room and put to the shining doors. There he babbles endlessly, and no more has strength at all such as once he had in his supple limbs. I would not have you be deathless among the deathless gods and live continually after such sort. Yet if you could live on such as now you are, in look and in form, and be called my husband, sorrow would not then enfold my careful heart. But as it is, harsh old age will soon enshroud you, ruthless age, which stands some day at the side of every man, deadly, wearying, dreaded even by the gods. And now, because of you, I shall have great shame among the deathless gods henceforth, continually, for until now they feared my gibes in the wilds by which, or soon or late, I mated all the immortals with mortal women, making them all subject to my will but now my mouth shall no more have this power among the gods. For very great has been my madness, my miserable and dreadful madness. And I went astray out of my mind, who have gotten a child beneath my girdle, mating with a mortal man. As for the child, as soon as he sees the light of the sun, the deep-breasted mountain nymphs who inhabit this great and holy mountain shall bring him up. They rank neither with mortals nor with immortals. Long indeed do they live, eating heavenly food, and treading the lovely dance among the immortals. And with them the Silene and the sharp-eyed slayer of Argus mate in the depths of pleasant caves. But at their birth pines or high-topped oaks spring up with them upon the fruitful earth beautiful, flourishing trees, towering high upon the lofty mountains and men call them holy places of the immortals, and never mortal lops them with the axe. But when the fate of death is near at hand, first those lovely trees wither where they stand, and the bark shrivels away about them, and the twigs fall down, and at last the life of the nymph and of the tree leave the light of the sun together. These nymphs shall keep my son with them and rear him, And as soon as he has come to lovely boyhood, the goddesses will bring him here to you and show you your child. But that I may tell you all that I have in mind, I will come here again towards the fifth year and bring you my son. So soon as ever you have seen him, a scion to delight the eyes, you will rejoice in beholding him, for he shall be most godlike. Then bring him at once to Windy Ilion. And if any mortal man ask you who got your dear son beneath her girdle, remember to tell him as I bid you. Say he is the offspring of one of the flower-like nymphs who inhabit this forest-clad hill. But if you tell all and foolishly boast that you lay with rich-crowned Aphrodite, Zeus will smite you in his anger with a smoking thunderbolt. Now I have told you all, take heed, refrain and name me not, but have regard to the anger of the gods. When the goddess had so spoken, she soared up to windy heaven. Hail goddess, queen of well-builded Cyprus, with you have I begun. Now I will turn me to another hymn. To Aphrodite. I will sing of stately Aphrodite, gold-crowned and beautiful, whose dominion is the walled cities of all sea-set Cyprus. There the moist breath of the western wind wafted her over the waves of the loud moaning sea in soft foam, and there the gold-filleted hours welcomed her joyously. They clothed her with heavenly garments, On her head they put a fine, well-wrought crown of gold, and in her pierced ears they hung ornaments of oricholk and precious gold, and adorned her with golden necklaces over her soft neck and snow-white breasts, jewels which the gold-filleted hours wear themselves whenever they go to their father's house to join the lovely dances of the gods. And when they had fully decked her, they brought her to the gods, who welcomed her when they saw her, giving her their hands. Each one of them prayed that he might lead her home to be his wedded wife. So greatly were they amazed at the beauty of violet-crowned Cytherea. Hail, sweetly winning, coy-eyed goddess! Grant that I may gain the victory in this contest and order you my song. And now I will remember you and another song also. End of section 5 To Dionysus I will tell of Dionysus, the son of glorious Semele, how he appeared on a jutting headland by the shore of the fruitless sea, seeming like a stripling in the first flush of manhood. His rich dark hair was waving about him, and on his strong shoulders he wore a purple robe. Presently there came swiftly over the sparkling sea Tyrrhenian pirates on a well-decked ship. A miserable doom led them on. When they saw him, they made signs to one another and sprang out quickly, and seizing him straightway, put him on board their ship exultingly, for they thought him the son of heaven-nurtured kings. They sought to bind him with rude bonds, but the bonds would not hold him, and the wives fell far away from his hands and feet, and he sat with a smile in his dark eyes. Then the helmsman understood all and cried out at once to his fellows and said, Madmen, what God is this whom you have taken and bind strong that he is? Not even the well-built ship can carry him. Surely this is either Zeus or Apollo who has the silver bow or Poseidon for he looks not like mortal men, but like the gods who dwell on Olympus. Come then, let us set him free upon the dark shore at once. Do not lay hands on him, lest he grow angry and stir up dangerous winds and heavy squalls. So said he, but the master chid him with taunting words. Madmen, mark the wind and help hoist sail on the ship. Catch all the sheets. As for this fellow, we men will see to him I reckon he is bound for Egypt, or for Cyprus, or to the Hyperboreans, or further still. But in the end he will speak out and tell us his friends, and all his wealth, and his brothers, now that providence has thrown him in our way. When he had said this, he had mast and sail hoisted on the ship, and the wind filled the sail, and the crew hauled taut the sheets on either side but soon strange things were seen among them. First of all, sweet fragrant wine ran streaming throughout all the black ship, and a heavenly smell arose, so that all the seamen were seized with amazement when they saw it. And all at once a vine spread out both ways along the top of the sail, with many clusters hanging down from it, and a dark ivy plant twined about the mast Blossoming with flowers and with rich berries growing on it, and all the thole pins were covered with garlands. When the pirates saw all this, then at last they bade the helmsman to put the ship to land. But the god changed into a dreadful lion there on the ship in the bows and roared loudly. Amidships also he showed his wonders and created a shaggy bear which stood up ravening while on the forepeak was the lion glaring fiercely with scowling brows. And so the sailors fled into the stern and crowded bemused about the right-minded helmsman until suddenly the lion sprang upon the master and seized him. And when the sailors saw it, they leapt out overboard one and all into the bright sea, escaping from a miserable fate and were changed into dolphins. But on the helmsman, Dionysus had mercy, and held him back and made him altogether happy, saying to him, Take courage, good. You have found favor with my heart. I am loud, crying, Dionysus, whom Cadmus' daughter Semele bear of union with Zeus. Hail, child of fair-faced Semele, he who forgets you can in no wise order sweet song. To Ares, Ares, exceeding in strength, chariot-rider, golden-helmed, doughty in heart, shield-bearer, saviour of cities, harnessed in bronze, strong of arm, unwearying, mighty with the spear, O defensive Olympus, father of warlike victory, ally of Themis, stern governor of the rebellious, leader of righteous men, sceptered king of manliness who whirl your fiery sphere among the planets in their sevenfold courses through the ether wherein your blazing steeds ever bear you above the third firmament of heaven. Hear me, helper of men, giver of dauntless youth. Shed down a kindly ray from above upon my life and strength of war, that I may be able to drive away bitter cowardice from my head and crush down the deceitful impulses of my soul. Restrain also the keen fury of my heart, which provokes me to tread the ways of blood-curdling strife. Rather, O blessed one, give you me boldness to abide within the harmless laws of peace, avoiding strife and hatred, and the violent fiends of death. To Artemis. Muse, sing of Artemis, sister of the far shooter, the Virgin who delights in arrows, who was fostered with Apollo. She waters her horses from meles deep in reeds and swiftly drives her all-golden chariot through Smyrna to vine-clad Claros, where Apollo, god of the silver bow, sits waiting for the far-shooting goddess who delights in arrows. And so hail to you, Artemis, in my song and to all goddesses as well. Of you first I sing, and with you I begin. Now that I have begun with you, I will turn to another song. To Aphrodite. Of Cytherea, born in Cyprus, I will sing. She gives kindly gifts to men. Smiles are ever on her lovely face, and lovely is the brightness that plays over it. Hail, goddess, queen of well-built Salamis and Seagirt Cyprus. Grant me a cheerful song, and now I will remember you, and another song also. To Athena Of Pallas Athena, guardian of the city, I begin to sing. Dread is she, and with Ares she loves deeds of war, the sack of cities and the shouting and the battle. It is she who saves the people as they go out to war and come back. Hail Goddess, and give us good fortune with happiness. To Hera I sing of golden-throned Hera, whom Rhea bear. Queen of the immortals is she, surpassing all in beauty. She is the sister and the wife of loud thundering Zeus, the glorious one whom all the blessed throughout High Olympus reverence and honour, even as Zeus who delights in thunder. To Demeter I begin to sing of rich-haired Demeter, awful goddess, of her and of her daughter, lovely Persephone. Hail goddess, keep this city safe, and govern my song. To the mother of the gods I prithee, clear-voiced muse, daughter of mighty Zeus sing of the mother of all gods and men she is well pleased with the sound of rattles and of timbrels with the voice of flutes and the outcry of wolves and bright-eyed lions with echoing hills and wooded coombs and so hail to you in my song and to all goddesses as well to Heracles the lion-hearted I will sing of Heracles, the son of Zeus and much the mightiest of men on earth. Alcmena bare him in Thebes, the city of lovely dances, when the dark-clouded son of Cronos had lain with her. Once he used to wander over unmeasured tracts of land and sea at the bidding of King Eurystheus, and himself did many deeds of violence and endured many. But now he lives happily in the glorious home of snowy Olympus and has neat-ankled Hebe for his wife. Hail, Lord, son of Zeus, give me success and prosperity. To Asclepius I begin to sing of Asclepius, son of Apollo, and healer of sicknesses. In the Docian plain, fair Coronis, daughter of King Phlegias, bear him. A great joy to men a soother of cruel pangs. And so, hail to you, Lord, in my song I make my prayer to thee. To the Dioscuri. Sing, clear-voiced muse, of Castor and Polydeukes, the Tyndaridae who sprang from Olympian Zeus. Beneath the heights of Taegetus stately Leda bare them when the dark-clouded son of Cronos had privily bent her to his will. Hail, children of Tyndarius, riders upon swift horses. To Hermes. I sing of Silenian Hermes, the slayer of Argus, lord of Silene in Arcadia rich in flocks, luck-bringing messenger of the deathless gods. He was born of Maia, the daughter of Atlas, when she had mated with Zeus, a shy god as she. Ever she avoided the throng of the blessed gods and lived in a shadowy cave. And there the son of Cronos used to lie with the rich tressed nymph at dead of night, while white-armed Hera lay bound in sweet sleep. And neither deathless god nor mortal man knew it. And so hail to you, son of Zeus and Maia. With you I have begun. Now I will turn to another song. Hail Hermes, giver of grace, guide and giver of good things. To Pan Muse, tell me about Pan, a dear son of Hermes, with his goat's feet and two horns, a lover of merry noise. Through wooded glades he wanders with dancing nymphs who foot it on some sheer cliff's edge, calling upon Pan, the shepherd god, long-haired, unkempt. He has every snowy crest and the mountain peaks and rocky crests for his domain, hither and thither he goes through the close thickets, now lured by soft streams, and now he presses on amongst towering crags and climbs up to the highest peak that overlooks the flocks. Often he courses through the glistening high mountains, and often on the shouldered hills he speeds along slaying wild beasts, this keen-eyed god. Only at evening, as he returns from the chase, he sounds his note, playing sweet and low on his pipes of reed. Not even she could excel him in melody, that bird who in flower-laden spring, pouring forth her lament, utters honey-voiced song amid the leaves. At that hour, the clear-voiced nymphs are with him, and move with nimble feet, singing by some spring of dark water, while Echo wails about the mountaintop and the god on this side or on that of the choirs, or at times sidling into the midst, plies it nimbly with his feet. On his back he wears a spotted lynx pelt, and he delights in high-pitched songs in a soft meadow where crocuses and sweet-smelling hyacinths bloom at random in the grass. They sing of the blessed gods in high Olympus and choose to tell of such an one as luck-bringing Hermes above the rest. How he is the swift messenger of all the gods, and how he came to Arcadia, the land of many springs and mother of flocks. There where his sacred place is as a god of Silene, for there, though a god, he used to tend curly-fleeced sheep in the service of a mortal man, because there fell on him and waxed strong melting desire to wed the rich tressed daughter of Dryops. And there he brought about the merry marriage. And in the house she bare Hermes a dear son, who from his birth was marvelous to look upon, with goat's feet and two horns, a noisy, merry-laughing child. But when the nurse saw his uncouth face and full beard, she was afraid and sprang up and fled and left the child. Then luck-bringing Hermes received him and took him in his arms, very glad in his heart was the god. And he went quickly to the abodes of the deathless gods carrying his son wrapped in warm skins of mountain hares, and set him down beside Zeus and showed him to the rest of the gods. Then all the immortals were glad in heart, and Bacchic Dionysus in especial, and they called the boy Pan, because he delighted all their hearts. And so, hail to you, Lord! I seek your favor with a song, and now I will remember you, and another song also. To Hephaestus Sing, clear voiced muse of Hephaestus, famed for inventions. With bright-eyed Athena he taught men glorious crafts throughout the world, men who before used to dwell in caves in the mountains like wild beasts. But now that they have learned crafts through Hephaestus, the famed worker, easily they live a peaceful life in their own houses the whole year round. Be gracious, Hephaestus and grant me success and prosperity. To Apollo. Phoebus, of you, even the swan sings with clear voice to the beating of his wings as he alights upon the bank by the eddying river Peneus. And of you, the sweet-tongued minstrel, holding his high-pitched lyre, always sings both first and last. And so, hail to you, Lord, I seek your favor with my song, TO POSEIDON I begin to sing about Poseidon, the great god, mover of the earth and fruitless sea, god of the deep, who is also lord of Helicon and wide Agi. A twofold office the gods allotted you, O shaker of the earth, to be a tamer of horses and a savior of ships. Hail, Poseidon! Holder of the earth, dark-haired Lord, O blessed one, be kindly in heart, and help those who voyage in ships. To the Son of Cronos, Most High, I will sing of Zeus, chiefest among the gods, and greatest, all-seeing, the Lord of all, the fulfiller, who whispers words of wisdom to Themis as she sits leaning towards him. Be gracious, all-seeing son of Cronos, most excellent and great. To Hestia Hestia, you who tend the holy house of the Lord Apollo, the far-shooter at goodly Pytho, with soft oil dripping ever from your locks, come now into this house, come, having one mind with Zeus the all-wise, draw near, and withal bestow grace upon my song. To the Muses and Apollo I will begin with the Muses and Apollo and Zeus. For it is through the Muses and Apollo that there are singers upon the earth and players upon the lyre, but kings are from Zeus. Happy is he whom the Muses love, sweet flows speech from his lips. Hail, children of Zeus! Give honor to my song, and now I will remember you and another song also. To Dionysus I begin to sing of ivy-crowned Dionysus, the loud-crying god, splendid son of Zeus, and glorious Semele. The rich-haired nymphs received him in their bosoms from the Lord his father, and fostered and nurtured him carefully in the dells of Nyssa where by the will of his father he grew up in a sweet-smelling cave, being reckoned among the immortals. But when the goddesses had brought him up, a god oft hymned, then began he to wander continually through the woody coombs, thickly wreathed with ivy and laurel, and the nymphs followed in his train with him for their leader, and the boundless forest was filled with their outcry. And so hail to you, Dionysus, god of abundant clusters, Grant that we may come again rejoicing to this season, and from that season onwards for many a year. To Artemis. I sing of Artemis, whose shafts are of gold, who cheers on the hounds, the pure maiden, shooter of stags, who delights in archery, own sister to Apollo with the golden sword. Over the shadowy hills and windy peaks, she draws her golden bow, rejoicing in the chase and sends out grievous shafts. The tops of the high mountains tremble and the tangled wood echoes awesomely with the outcry of beasts. Earth quakes and the sea also where fishes shoal. But the goddess with a bold heart turns every way destroying the race of wild beasts. And when she is satisfied and has cheered her heart, this huntress who delights in arrows, slackens her supple bow and goes to the great house of her dear brother phoebus apollo to the rich land of delphi there to order the lovely dance of the muses and graces there she hangs up her curved bow and her arrows and heads and leads the dances gracefully arrayed while all they utter their heavenly voice singing how neat-ankled leto bear children supreme among the immortals both in thought and in deed hail to you children of Zeus and rich-haired Leto, and now I will remember you and another song also. To Athena. I begin to sing of Pallas Athena, the glorious goddess, bright-eyed, inventive, unbending of heart, pure virgin, savior of cities, courageous Tritogenia. Why Zeus himself bear her from his awful head? arrayed in warlike arms of flashing gold, and awe seized all the gods as they gazed. But Athena sprang quickly from the immortal head and stood before Zeus, who holds the aegis, shaking a sharp spear. Great Olympus began to reel horribly at the might of the bright-eyed goddess, and earth round about cried fearfully, and the sea was moved and tossed with dark waves, while foam burst forth suddenly the bright son of Hyperion stopped his swift-footed horses a long while until the maiden, Pallas Athena, had stripped the heavenly armor from her immortal shoulders, and wise Zeus was glad. And so hail to you, daughter of Zeus who holds the Aegis. Now I will remember you, and another song as well. To Hestia. Hestia, in the high dwellings of all, both deathless gods and men who walk on earth, you have gained an everlasting abode and highest honor. Glorious is your portion and your right. For without you mortals hold no banquet, where one does not duly pour sweet wine in offering to Hestia both first and last. And you, slayer of Argus, son of Zeus and Maia, messenger of the blessed gods, bearer of the golden rod, giver of good, Be favourable and help us, you and Hestia, the worshipful and dear. Come and dwell in this glorious house in friendship together, for you too, well knowing the noble actions of men, aid on their wisdom and their strength. Hail daughter of Kronos, and you also Hermes, bearer of the golden rod. Now I will remember you, and another song also. To earth, the mother of all. I will sing of well-founded earth, mother of all, eldest of all beings. She feeds all creatures that are in the world, all that go upon the goodly land, and all that are in the paths of the seas, and all that fly. All these are fed of her store. Through you, O Queen, men are blessed in their children and blessed in their harvests and to you it belongs to give means of life to mortal men and to take it away. Happy is the man whom you delight to honor. He has all things abundantly. His fruitful land is laden with corn, his pastures are covered with cattle, and his house is filled with good things. Such men rule orderly in their cities of fair women. Great riches and wealth follow them. Their sons exult with ever-fresh delight, and their daughters in flower-laden bands play and skip merrily over the soft flowers of the field. Thus it is with those whom you honor, O holy goddess, bountiful spirit. Hail, mother of the gods, wife of starry heaven, freely bestow upon me for this my song substance that cheers the heart. And now I will remember you and another song also. To Helios. And now, O Muse Calliope, daughter of Zeus, begin to sing of glowing Helios, who mild-eyed Euryphasa, the far shining one, bare to the sun of earth and starry heaven. For Hyperion wedded glorious Euryphasa, his own sister, who bare him lovely children, rosy-armed Eos, and rich-tressed Selene, and tireless Helios, who is like the deathless gods. As he rides in his chariot, he shines upon men and deathless gods, and piercingly he gazes with his eyes from his golden helmet. Bright rays beam dazzlingly from him, and his bright locks streaming from the temples of his head gracefully enclose his far-seen face. A rich, fine-spun garment glows upon his body and flutters in the wind and stallions carry him. Then when he has stayed his golden yoked chariot and horses he rests there upon the highest point of heaven until he marvelously drives them down again through heaven to ocean. Hail to you Lord freely bestow on me substance that cheers the heart and now that I've begun with you I will celebrate the race of mortal men half-divine whose deeds the muses have showed to mankind. To Selene And next, sweet-voiced muses, daughters of Zeus, well-skilled in song, tell of the long-winged moon. From her immortal head a radiance is shown from heaven and embraces earth, and great is the beauty that ariseth from her shining light. The air, unlit before, glows with the light of her golden crown, and her rays beam clear, whensoever bright Selene, having bathed her lovely body in the waters of ocean, and donned her far gleaming raiment, and yoked her strong-necked shining team, drives on her long-maned horses at full speed, at even time in the mid-month. Then her great orbit is full, and then her beams shine brightest as she increases. So she is sure token and a sign to mortal men. Once the son of Cronos was joined with her in love and she conceived and bare a daughter Pandia, exceedingly lovely amongst the deathless gods. Hail, white-armed goddess, bright Selene, mild, bright dressed queen. And now I will leave you and sing the glories of men half divine Whose deeds minstrels, the servants of the Muses, celebrate with lovely lips. To the Dioscuri. Bright eyed Muses, tell of the Tyndaridae, the sons of Zeus, glorious children of neat ankled Leda, Castor the tamer of horses, and blameless Polydeukes. When Leda had lain with the dark clouded son of Cronos, She bare them beneath the peak of the great hill Tegetus, children who are deliverers of men on earth and of swift-going ships when stormy gales rage over the ruthless sea. Then the shipmen call upon the sons of great Zeus with vows of white lambs going to the forepart of the prow. But the strong wind and the waves of the sea lay the ship under water until suddenly these two are seen darting through the air on tawny wings. Forthwith they allay the blasts of the cruel winds, and still the waves upon the surface of the white sea. Fair signs are they, and deliverance from toil. And when the shipmen see them, they are glad, and have rest from their pain and labor. Hail, Tyndaridai, riders upon swift horses. Now I will remember you, and another song also. Epigrams. Have reverence for him who needs a home and a stranger's dole, all ye who dwell in the high city of Kyme, the lovely maiden, hard by the foothills of lofty Sardini, ye who drink the heavenly water of the divine stream, eddying Hermas, whom deathless Zeus begot. Speedily may my feet bear me to some town of righteous men, for their hearts are generous, and their wit is best. I am a maiden of bronze, and am set upon the tomb of Midas. While the waters flow and tall trees flourish, and the sun rises and shines, and the bright moon also, while rivers run and the sea breaks on the shore, ever remaining on this mournful tomb, I tell the passer-by that Midas here lies buried. To what a fate did Zeus the father give me a prey, even while he made me to grow, a babe at my mother's knee? By the will of Zeus who holds the ages, the people of Phrycon, riders of wanton horses, more active than raging fire in the test of war, once built the towers of Aeolian Smyrna, wave-shaken neighbor to the sea, through which glides the pleasant stream of sacred Thence arose the daughters of Zeus, glorious children, and would fain have made famous that fair country and the city of its people. But in their folly those men scorned the divine voice and renown of song, and in trouble shall one of them remember this hereafter, he who with scornful words to them contrived my fate. Yet I will endure the lot which heaven gave me, even at my birth bearing my disappointment with a patient heart. My dear limbs, you're not to stay in the sacred streets of Kaimi, but rather my great heart urges me to go unto another country, small though I am. Thestorides, full of many things there are that mortals cannot sound, but there is nothing more unfathomable than the heart of man. Hear me, Poseidon, strong shaker of the earth, ruler of widespread tawny helicon. Give a fair wind and a sight of safe return to the shipmen who speed and govern this ship. And grant that when I come to the nether slopes of towering Mimas, I may find honorable God-fearing men. Also, may I avenge me on the wretch who deceived me and grieved Zeus, the lord of guests, and his own guest table. Queen Earth, all bounteous giver of honey-hearted wealth, how kindly it seems you are to some, and how intractable and rough for those with whom you are angry! Sailors who rove the seas, and whom a hateful fate has made as the shy sea-fowl, living an unenviable life, observe the reverence due to Zeus who rules on high. The god of strangers for terrible is the vengeance of this god afterwards for whosoever has sinned strangers a contrary wind has caught you but even now take me aboard and you shall make your voyage another sort of pine shall bear a better fruit than you upon the heights of furrowed windy ida for there shall mortal men get the iron that Ares loves, so soon as the Sabrenians shall hold the land. Glaucus, watchman of flocks, a word I will put in your heart. First, give the dogs their dinner at the courtyard gate, for this is well. The dog first hears a man approaching and the wild beast coming to the fence. Goddess nurse of the young, Give ear to my prayer, and grant that this woman may reject the love embraces of youth and dote on gray-haired old men whose powers are dulled, but whose hearts still desire. Children are a man's crown, towers of a city, horses are the glory of a plain, and so are ships of the sea. Wealth will make a house great, and reverend princes seated in assembly are a goodly sight for the folk to see. But a blazing fire makes a house look more comely upon a winter's day, when the son of Kronos sends down snow. Potters, if you will give me a reward, I will sing for you. Come then, Athena, with hand upraised over the kiln. Let the pots and all the dishes turn out well, and be well fired. Let them fetch good prices, and be sold in plenty in the market, and plenty in the streets. Grant that the potters may get great gain, and grant me so to sing to them. But if you turn shameless and make false promises, then I call together the destroyers of kilns. Shatter and smash and char and crash and crude bake who can work this craft much mischief. Come all of you and sack the kiln-yard and the buildings. Let the whole kiln be shaken up to the potter's loud lament. As a horse-jaw grinds, so let the kiln grind to powder all the pots inside. And you too, daughter of the sun, Circe the witch, come and cast cruel spells. Hurt both these men and their handiwork. Let Chiron also come and bring many centaurs, all that escaped the hands of Heracles, and all that were destroyed. Let them make sad havoc of the pots, and overthrow the kiln, and let the potters see the mischief and be grieved. But I will gloat as I behold their luckless craft. And if any one of them stoops to peer in, let all his face be burned up, that all men may learn to deal honestly." Let us betake to the house of some man of great power, one who bears great power and is greatly prosperous always. Open of yourselves, you doors, for mighty wealth will enter in, and with wealth comes jolly mirth and gentle peace. May all the corn bins be full, and the mass of dough always overflowing the kneading trough. Now set before us, cheerful barley-potage full of sesame. Your son's wife, driving to this house with strong-hoofed mules, shall dismount from her carriage to greet you. May she be shod with golden shoes as she stands weaving at the loom. I come, and I come yearly, like the swallow that perches light-footed in the forepart of your house, but quickly bring, If you will give us anything, well, but if not, we will not wait, for we are not come here to dwell with you. Homer, hunters of deep sea prey, have we caught anything? Fisherman, all that we caught we left behind, and all that we did not catch we carry home. Homer, aye, for of such fathers you are sprung as neither hold rich lands nor tend countless sheep. End of Section 8